Have you ever had a time in your life when you just did not feel like you could get to God? You felt like you couldn't see God, that your life was just not very important to Him. Well, perhaps you felt that way because you were having a very difficult struggle. And even though you prayed and prayed and prayed, nothing seemed to happen. Perhaps someone said something to you that made you feel small. You know, I think all of us have experienced such feelings at times when we've felt like crying out to God, God, why aren't you helping me? Don't you see me? Don't you see what I'm going through? God, I'm not big enough to handle this. My strength is weak. My faith is small. Where are you, God? I need to see you, God. You know, we forget that God often does big things from small beginnings. You know, the widow's coin, the bag lunch of a boy, the mustard seed faith that can move mountains. Sometimes we feel small, but God can take something small and make something great out of it. Today, today's person of interest is a man who was small. Small in height, but big in faith. It didn't start out that way because this man was far from being right with God. He was far from being a follower of Christ. When he did try to turn to faith in Jesus, he faced opposition and discouragement. How he came to Jesus and what happened is a lesson for all of us when our faith is threatened by discouragement. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. And I want to continue this message. As we look at people Jesus encountered and see how a little man overcame discouraging circumstances to see God do a big thing in his life. And uh, speaking of that, uh, I don't see him in here right now, but little J.J. who comes here, today's his birthday, so... A shout out to J.J. Happy birthday, little man. we proud to have you in Calvary. Luke 19. If you have your Bibles, turn there. And if you're willing and able, stand with me as we honor the reading of God's precious word. Luke 19. A familiar story, by the way. We learned this little song, you know, from a, a child about Zacchaeus, the wee little man, right? You know, most of us did, if, you were, if we have any age on us. We learned it a long time ago. Well, this is the story of Zacchaeus. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named, what was his name? Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was what? I'm just wanting to make sure you're with me. He was what? Rich. He was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not. Because of the crowd, for he was short of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up in a what? Sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when 
The crowd saw it. They all complained, saying, Why, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today has salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. When all else fails, when the heaven and earth passes away, your word will still be standing. It will still be true. It has been attacked for thousands of years. And God, you are still strong and your word is still true. And today, Lord, I just pray that each one of us that are here and each one listening and watching, that our minds and hearts would be open to you so that you might say something to us, Lord, that we need to know. And when you call us, that we might respond to you in perfect obedience. And I would pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Person of interest, and this is the story of Zacchaeus. Now, the story of Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus happened as Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem for what would be his last Passover. At the conclusion of this Jerusalem journey, remember, he's on his way to Jerusalem. We know what's getting ready to happen. At the conclusion of this Jerusalem journey, Jesus would be rejected. He would be crucified on a cross to bring forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life to all who would accept Him as Savior and Lord. Zacchaeus was the third of the encounters Jesus had on that trip. You know, before Zacchaeus, ten lepers were healed. One returned to give praise for his miracle. Before Zacchaeus, a blind man received his sight. And then finally, Zacchaeus meets Jesus shortly before the, tr the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. So this is where we are today. It's just before Palm Sunday. And Jesus meets this little man called Zacchaeus. In all these encounters, these three encounters, the Persons of interest were considered outcasts, shoved aside by society, all in discouraging situations, living a life, a life of loss and separation. You see, even Zacchaeus, he had become rich in earthly wealth, but he was poor in the things that really mattered. Faith, hope, spiritual life. Folks, do you know that you can be sick and weak and poor in the eyes of the world and still be rich toward God. Did you know that? Amen. Rich in faith. Rich in the things that matter. This is Zacchaeus' story. Verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, as he was going through Jericho, or there was a man, or beyond Jericho, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. So Luke gives us a little bit of detail about Zacchaeus. He was identified as a chief tax collector. Now in Greek, the word is, is architelonis. 
Kind of from where we get our word architect, architelonis. Now, although Luke does not elaborate on the duties of the chief tax collector, we know something about the tax collectors of that day from writings in the ancient world. When Rome conquered lands, they ordered the people to pay taxes to Caesar. Now, strategically, to collect those taxes, the Romans chose local people. They, they put out a bid for tax collectors, publicans. They were even called tax farmers because they raised taxes from people as farmers raised crops from the ground. As chief tax collector, Zacchaeus was probably in charge of a number of tax collectors. These were not popular people. Remember, they were citizens, or they were part of that local fabric, but they were chosen by Rome. They bid on the opportunity to collect taxes. They placed a bid. They paid money to Rome for the opportunity to collect taxes. And the ones who got the jobs of tax collectors or tax farmers, they had to collect enough taxes to pay their expenses, to pay for that bid, and then Rome didn't care how much more they collected. As long as they collected taxes for Rome, they could collect whatever they wanted to collect. Now, how about that? You know, I mean, at least in the United States, we do have a tax code, right, you know? But imagine uh, the, IRS, the IRS saying, well, we're just you owe this much money because each individual agent could collect as much as he wanted from you. Well, that wouldn't, wouldn't be fair, would it? Well, that's what was going on in the ancient world. And these tax collectors, these tax farmers were raising taxes and raising taxes and raising taxes. And so they were, they were in the eyes of the people, they were very corrupt people. Put it simply... Zacchaeus was despised by the Jews. They considered him a, a thief and an outcast. And on his Jerusalem journey, Jesus had helped other outcasts. The blind man, the ten lepers, and here is another, another person of interest who showed his interest in Jesus by overcoming his own difficulties to see the Savior. We have a lesson for us today in faith through Zacchaeus. Verse 3, and Zacchaeus sought to see who Jesus was, but, because, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. Now, there's nothing wrong being short in height, but for Zacchaeus, it caused him a real problem. It almost kept him from seeing Jesus. He was a little man, in a big crowd of people. I mean, he was probably over here at his booth, his office, or wherever he was, uh, supervising tax collectors or collecting taxes himself. Uh, he was over there. Maybe he brought in the tax money from the others and sent it to Rome. I don't know. I know he got his money. He got a lot of money. He was rich. And he got it in not, in not very ethical ways. We'll see a little later. The people despised him for it. And here he was over here, and he heard that Jesus was coming. Somehow he heard it. And 
at this point in Jesus' ministry, especially toward the end, huge crowds of people followed Jesus. Huge crowd, masses of people. I mean, I don't know how many, thousands probably. And Jesus is going through Jericho, and these were not huge villages, but he was going through thousands of people following. And Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming through, and he wants to see Jesus. He wants to. Some of the people who followed Jesus, they were people of real faith who had experienced his miraculous power. Others were just spectators, just hope, maybe perhaps hoping, hoping Jesus was the Messiah. Still others were not believers at all. They were lost people, just following the crowd to see some miracle or something happening. We do not know why Zacchaeus was interested in seeing Jesus. Maybe it was a divine appointment. What do you think? That God had put in his heart a desire to learn about Jesus, to know Jesus. We know Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was interested in Jesus. We don't know why. But one thing we do know is that the crowd was not interested in Zacchaeus. These massive people were not interested in helping Zacchaeus get to Jesus. They did not care about Zacchaeus. They did not like Zacchaeus. They did not care about his lost spiritual condition. As I said, he was not a popular person. He was hated, despised, and he was in the back of the line when it came to seeing Jesus. If anything... Zacchaeus may have heard harsh words. I mean, if, they were, if the crowd was going to say anything to this man, they might say, what, why do you want to see Jesus, Zacchaeus? Jesus doesn't want to see you. You're no good. Just go back to your sinful lifestyle and riches and forget about Jesus. Nobody cares about you. He might have heard something like that. Because that's kind of the way the world is toward people and the spiritual condition of people. I see it today, don't you? Don't you see how that the majority of this world cares nothing for the spiritual condition of souls? They don't. This secular world, the masses, secular crowds around you. Where you live, where you work, where you may go to school. They don't mind if you become a great athlete or a business executive or a success in some worldly way, they might cheer you on for it, but they are certainly not interested in the eternal destiny of your soul. And most of the people in your world will not help you get to Jesus. In fact, in today's world, if you ever do find someone who's interested in you spiritually, you ought to be very thankful to God that someone does care because that's the most important thing, a person that cares about your soul. I mean, that's, that's really, that's a real friend, you know. That's a rare friend. For most people like, like Zacchaeus, if you want to follow Jesus, you'll have to wade through a crowd. You'll have to get through difficulty, through discouragement to do it. In fact, the satanically driven crowds in our world seem to work to keep people away from Jesus. And Satan certainly uses the temptation of earthly rewards, as well as the fear of loss to keep us away from Jesus. Just look at how Satan tried to discourage Zacchaeus with Zacchaeus' own limitations. 
He was short in stature, but so we all so we all fall short of God's glory. We are all undeserving of his love and mercy. We are powerless to save ourselves. We're not being short in stature is not the main thing. Being short in spirit, being short in faith, that's the main thing. That's what we don't want to be. Isaiah the prophet said, but we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Compared to the holiness of God, the very best of us are still like a dirty dish rag that's been scrubbing out old pots and pans, greasy pots and pans. We're just not, we're just undeserving folks. Zacchaeus fell short in a lot of ways. Short in stature for sure, short in friends. It certainly didn't seem he had like he had many or any. Didn't have any in that crowd. Short in faith. Now that was just about to change. Verse 4. So he ran ahead of the crowd and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now Zacchaeus, this little man with a whole lot of difficulties, couldn't get through the crowd. He couldn't get over the crowd. He couldn't get any help from the crowd. So he ran ahead of the crowd and he climbed up in a tree and he waited for Jesus. And I believe this was more than curiosity. I do. You see, it was undignified of Zacchaeus to run ahead and climb a tree to see Jesus. Undignified. But he did not care about how the crowd saw him. He did not care about being embarrassed. At that moment, seeing Jesus meant more to Zacchaeus than anything else. And that, my friends, is the beginning of faith. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but then he did something about it. Faith is not sitting back behind the tax booth and saying, I kind of like to see Jesus. Faith is not wandering around the crowd saying, I'd like to see a sign, a miracle. Faith is saying, I want to see Jesus more than anything, and I'm going to run, and I am going to do anything that is necessary for me to get to Jesus. That's what real faith is, you see. And this beginnings of faith caught the attention of Jesus. It's what made Zacchaeus a person of interest to Jesus. Look at verse 5 and 6. And when Jesus came to that place, you know, where Zacchaeus was up in that tree. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and he said to him, Zacchaeus, you come down. Zacchaeus, make haste, hurry up. And come down, for today I must stay at your home. I must. So, look at the next part. Would you read it with me? So he made haste and came down and received him. How? Joyfully. Zacchaeus got more than he expected. 
He climbed up the tree to get a glimpse of Jesus and ended up having Jesus come as a guest in his home. Zacchaeus had a newfound faith. And that faith is what brought Jesus home with Zacchaeus. It wasn't the fact that Zacchaeus was a rich man. It wasn't his size. It wasn't his status. It was the fact that he had faith. And Jesus said, hurry up, Zacchaeus, come down. Today, today, I must come home with you. I've got to stay in your house. I love it. We should never forget that if we're going to get to Jesus and Jesus is, and we're going to be close to Jesus like Zacchaeus would be, we have to come to him on his terms, not our terms. We have to come to him on faith terms. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus' invitation to life is open to all who would accept it. But we must accept it on his terms. God's terms for his great salvation are repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. In order to follow Jesus, we must turn away from sin and self and put our faith totally and completely in Him, in Jesus. Zacchaeus did that. I was nine years old when I heard Jesus say, Donnie, hurry up. Come on. Follow me. What about you? Where did it happen for you? Was it in a church? Was it at home? Was it... Somewhere a youth camp was where did vacation Bible school where where did you hear Jesus say call you by name and say come to that hurry up come on and you came to Jesus we can only get to Jesus when he calls us on his terms and we respond we can't come to Jesus listen if Zacchaeus would have been up in that tree and he said Jesus said, hurry up, Zacchaeus, come on down, follow me. If Zacchaeus would have said, well, you know, really, this is kind of comfortable up here. I kind of like it up here. You know, I think I'll stay a while. Then Jesus wouldn't have come to his house. If he had heard the crowd back at his tax table and he said, what? hey, who is that coming through? They said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus who? Oh, well, I'll see him one day. One day, I'll, there's too many people. There's too many people, I can't see him. Maybe I'll catch him another day. Jesus would not have come to Zacchaeus' home. It's one thing to say, I want to follow Jesus, or I want to see Jesus. It's one thing to say, I've decided to follow Jesus and sing a song about it. It's one thing to even come down the aisle and say, hey, Pastor Donnie, you know, Pastor, uh, help me, I want to pray and accept Jesus. It's one thing to say those things with your mouth, but it's another thing to put your legs with it. And that's what Zacchaeus had to do. His legs had to carry him to that point where he met Jesus on Jesus' terms. Come down, Zacchaeus. Come down. Today, I must stay at your house. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And if you stay with me and live with me, in me, you'll bear much fruit. You've got to have Jesus. Jesus can't just be something in your mind. He's got to be living in your life for you to have that eternal life and place in heaven one day. And you have to repent 
of your sins. You've got to come down from that tree. You've got to let go of those branches you're hanging on to. Whatever those branches might be. It might be a, a sinful relationship. It might be a, something earthly reward. I mean, it might be who knows what it is. It might be some old ugly habit. You've got to let go of it if you're going to, if you're going to come down. If G- Jesus is calling you, come down. Let go. Let go. Folks, you'll never be sorry if you let go of the world and you take, take Jesus. Never be sorry for that. So, uh, so Zacchaeus laid aside whatever he was doing and he ran to Jesus. And then when Jesus called Zacchaeus to himself, Zacchaeus joyfully received him into his home. Joy is an appropriate response to God's call for faith in his son. Joy is a response of faith, a response of gratitude that the King of kings and Lord of the universe would not only notice us, but invite us to know him and join him as he goes through this life with us and draws the world to himself. He calls others through us. What greater joy could there be than knowing you're pleasing your heavenly Father. I was just thinking about, you know, how when we're young, we want to please our, our fathers. You know, the little boys, I mean, I can't really talk from the perspective of women because I'm not one. I'm an all-American boy here. And I remember growing up, and as a boy, I always wanted to do what my daddy did. You know, and my daddy worked hard. He, would, he was a carpenter, and he was a fisherman, and he was a hunter, and he did all kinds. He did all kinds of things, and I wanted to do what he did. And I did. I was thinking one day about sitting on the rocks uh, at Goat Island up in Rowan County, fishing for, just sitting on the rocks, uh, taking a little break. He had a little boat. We went over there, a little, uh, little uh, John boat. We'd go over there and climb up on those rocks, and it was real pretty, and eat sardines and crackers and beanie weenies, you know? And I was sitting there, and I'd watch how he'd do things, and I'd learn, and I would do them. And I grew up, and I wanted to please my dad. You know, I remember him teaching me how to ride a bicycle. I, boy, that was really something. I had this old red bicycle from Sears, I think. Radio Flyer, I believe it was. I got on that red thing, and I, I remember going down through the yard, and I remember falling a few times, but I remember him taking the back of it, and, I, and he'd hold it until I could ride it. And you know, I wanted to please my dad. And then, then I had sons of my own. And I wanted them to do things, and I did stuff with them, and I did a whole lot of stuff. I, I remember helping them with their bicycle, pushing them along till they got started and learned how to do it. I, I remember fishing with them and eating those cr- crackers, e- eating stuff, you know, snacks, and that's one of the best part of fishing, isn't it, is those snacks. And I remember doing things with my sons, and they would watch me, and they would do what I did, because there's something about a boy wanting to please his dad. And folks, I want to tell you something. There's no greater joy for a boy, a son, than when his father puts his arm on his shoulders and said, I'm proud of you. Proud of you. Now, my dad was pretty hard, and he didn't often say that. That's the way it is with some dad. You ought to say it a lot. I think that's why I've told my children how proud I am of them about a million times, because I didn't hear a whole lot of it growing up. But I wanted it. Because I wanted to please my dad. I want to tell you something, folks. There is no greater thing, no greater joy you could have than to know that your heavenly Father is pleased with you, is proud of you.
to hear Jesus say to you, I'm proud of you. To know that what you were doing in your life was honoring your Father and pleasing Him. That's the greatest thing. Folks, to know, I'm I'm an older man now, to know that my Father is pleased with something I'm doing. Oh, wow. (laughs) That means more to me than what any other person could say to me, believe me. Just to know, just to be in prayer with Him and talking to my Lord and my Father. I love to call Him my Father because that's what He is. And to know, to just sense His pleasure in my life. To know that He's proud of me. That means more to me than anything. That brings me great joy. And to see my children serving the Lord, that brings me great joy. Folks, I want to tell you something. There's great things out here. Life's got a lot of neat things. I mean, I enjoy stuff. I enjoy horses, I think, more than about anything else, you know, on the earth. I love to be here. But I got to tell you something. All the stuff in this world, it's just stuff. It's all going to be gone one day. All those riches Zacchaeus had, it's all gonna be, they were going to be gone. Everything was going to be gone one day. But he was still going to be, Father God was still going to be there. The Lord Jesus still there. So what's more important? Being short, tall, being, having two good legs or two bad legs? What, what is more, having a ton of money or no money? What is more important in his life? Pleasing your Father. Can I get an amen? amen. That's what's most important. And when Jesus called and said, come on down, Zacchaeus, what did Zacchaeus do? He hurried up and he got down from there. And he joyfully received Jesus. And you know what else Zacchaeus did? He gave Jesus everything. He let go of the branch. Can you let, is there something you're holding on to that you can't let go of? It might be some old past pain or hurt. It might be some disability. It might be something, some some earthly wealth. And and you won't let go. You got to let go, folks. Some resentment, some sin, some whatever. You know what I'm talking about. You get the picture. Are you in the tree holding on or are you coming down? Jesus is calling you. Now what happened when Zacchaeus hurried up, when he jumped down out of that tree with Jesus? Well, let me tell you. Satan still wasn't ready to let him go. There was still more difficulty ahead for Zacchaeus. Still more discouragement. Verse 7. But when the crowd, when they, the crowd saw him jump down and run and Jesus said, I'm coming to stay with you at your house today. Look what happened. The crowd, when they saw it, who was Zacchaeus? A government official. If a government official, if one of my government officials decided to jump down and give Jesus everything and start (laughs) confessing him and following Jesus, I don't know what I might do. My mouth would probably drop open, you know? I'd be so surprised, but I would be so happy that somebody like that, somebody in leadership, would be 
following Jesus and telling people, I'm following Jesus. But not these people. No, when they saw Jesus, when they saw Zacchaeus come down, and, uh, and to Je- they all complained, saying, well, Jesus is going to be a guest with a man who was a sinner. <laughs> Folks, Zacchaeus was not a saint. He was a sinner. So were the rest of those people there. <laughs> they were in, in that crowd. They knew what kind of man Zacchaeus was. They knew he had added to the suffering of people. They knew. They saw Zacchaeus as a sinner. But so were they. And they had not accepted the truth that Jesus was the Savior. Zacchaeus did. If those people had believed Jesus was the Savior, if they had real faith in Jesus, then they too would have rejoiced that a sinner had found Jesus. But they didn't. They criticized Jesus for going to the home of a sinner. But what about Zacchaeus? Did he truly find God's grace and salvation? Look at verses 8 through 10. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord. I like that. He called Jesus his Lord. Look, Lord. Didn't call him rabbi or teacher. Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. Now, in the Greek language, this can be what I'm going to do from this moment forward. Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusations, I restore him fourfold. From this moment on, Jesus, my life has changed. And I'm going to give half of what I have. Everything I have, not what I'm making, not the taxes. I'm going to give half of everything I have to those in need. Remember what faith, it's got some legs, right? And if I have taken anything from anyone, if I've cheated anyone, I'll restore him fourfold. And Jesus said to him, and I can see him beaming, Father, His father is saying, well done, I'm proud of you, son. Today, salvation has come to this house. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? Amen? Today, salvation has come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. For Read the last part. For the Son of Man has come to what? Seek and to save that which was lost. Wow. Hallelujah. The blind man, listen, the blind man Jesus encountered. He said, once I was lost and blind, but now I see. The leper who encountered Jesus said, once I was lost and sick, but now I am clean. And Zacchaeus said, once I was lost, once I was a lost thief, a taker. But since I found Jesus, now I'm a giver, and my life will never be the same. When Zacchaeus met Jesus, everything changed. His worth ethic changed, his work ethic changed, his love for others changed, his dedication to Jesus changed. Paul said, therefore, read it with me, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Everyone in that room saw the difference in Zacchaeus. He had been on a path that led away from Jesus, a discouraging path. Have you ever been on a path of discouragement where everywhere you look there seemed to be difficulty? Well, let me tell you something. The path of discouragement is filled with 
discouraging words. Number one, discouraging words. Number two, discouraging circumstances. And number three, discouraging failures. Zacchaeus knew what that was like. Even when we're trying to get to Jesus, even when we're trying to do what's right, Satan uses people to try to talk us out of it, to discourage us with their complaints and accusations. He constantly reminds us, uh, Satan constantly reminds us of our limitations, our failures to frighten us away from Jesus, to make us feel like life, that we're useless, that we're no good. Folks, you'll never be useless to God. God can use you right where you are. Fanny Crosby wrote more hymns than anybody in the hymn book, and she was blind. Johnny Erickson Todd's been a para, Toddy, uh, Johnny Erickson Todd has been a, a paraplegic for many years, and she has written Bible studies over and over again. Folks, Satan uses his tool of discouragement to make us focus on what we can or cannot do so that we don't look at what Jesus can do. He wants to keep us blinded, weak, fearful, so that we quit or turn our back on Jesus. And so many today have turned their backs on Jesus. So it's so sad. What a sad world today. I know the enemy does whatever he can to make you quit. Following Jesus is not easy. But if Zacchaeus can overcome, you can overcome. Amen? All of us can overcome. Zacchaeus learned... We need a change. And to change our path, we need three things. Number one, determine to see Jesus. Number two, determine to invite Jesus into our lives, into our home. Number three, determine to serve Jesus for the rest of our lives. That's what Zacchaeus did. He ran ahead of the crowd. He determined to see Jesus. He ran ahead of the crowd and overcame his difficulties by climbing above everything else, discouraging and looking down on those things that held him back. Sometimes when Satan's trying to discourage us, we need a change of perspective. We need to quit looking at our limitations. And we need to start looking to what Jesus can do. He's not changed even when we are in a bad situation, even when discouragement's all around us. He has not changed. We need to take our eyes off ourselves and start looking to Jesus. When we trust Jesus with whatever we're facing, when we see how big He is compared to our problems and our weakness, that's when our faith rises and overcomes. Zacchaeus did not let anything keep him from Jesus, and neither must we. And then when he heard the call of Jesus... He gladly received him into his home and into his heart. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. If we really want to change our paths and walk in a better way, we have to turn that determination into action. When our desire and determination turns into action, that's, that is called faith and that's what can move mountains. James said, You believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you know... Do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Zacchaeus' life changed, not when he saw Jesus, but when he started serving Jesus, when he came down from the tree. Zacchaeus stood up against a crowd that had despised him, had blocked him, had accused him, and he made a commitment to turn from his selfish past and follow Jesus no matter the cost. Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, Lord, from this day... 
straightforward. I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by cheating them, I restore them fourfold. Jesus, folks, changes everything. Listen, Jesus changes everything. Amen? You know it. When we serve Jesus, finally, look at this. When we serve Jesus, you know what he does? Number one, he changes our attitude toward ourselves. We, we quit worrying about what we don't have or do have. And we just see ourselves as a servant of God, a child of God, trying to please our Heavenly Father. Number two, he changes our attitude toward life. We begin to see that life is more than what we got right here. Life is far beyond this old 100 years, like a vapor. We're just a just a puff of smoke. That's what this life is like. We begin to realize there's something to live for greater than this. And then when we serve Jesus, he changes our attitude toward others. Like the girls were singing, Jesus loves us and we love others. Notice the change in Zacchaeus when Jesus came into his house and his heart. From that moment, Zacchaeus had a new reason to live. Once he had lived for himself to make all he could for himself for his purposes, then Jesus came into his life and Zacchaeus promised to give half of everything he had to those in need. When he put his faith in Jesus, he determined to serve a new master and everything changed. Zacchaeus became the hands and feet of Jesus. He had once been rich in money, now he was rich in faith. Once he had been known as a chief tax collector, now more importantly he would be known as a child of God. Never again would he look at the world and the people the same way when he sat at his post. Never again would he take more than he should from others. Paul said, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Once Zacchaeus was a small man with a greedy heart, but Jesus turned him into a big man with a giving heart. Big not in stature. But in wealth, not in wealth, not in fame, but in faith. And because of that, as Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Now think about your house, your life. Has salvation come to your house? Has salvation come to your heart and life? What has it cost you? I can promise you this, whatever it costs to follow Jesus, it's worth it. Zacchaeus went from being wealthy in the eyes of men to being rich in eternal things as a child of God folks nothing is impossible to our father that's the lesson we have from Zacchaeus our faith lesson let's read it together faith lesson ready go when we give Jesus everything we find our real worth in him and that's what we learn from Zacchaeus we don't know how many people came to faith in Christ because of Zacchaeus, or if anybody did, but we do know that when he gave his life to Jesus, his life before others changed, and I guarantee you he planted a lot of kingdom seeds. When we find our real worth in Jesus, not only do we become the hands and feet of Jesus, but we have a heart like Jesus, a heart to save others, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Our heart becomes his heart. And his heart was willing to suffer, bleed, and die on an old rugged cross to pay for our sins, to pay the price for the sins we've committed against God. He died and rose again so that we could be forgiven, so that we could live eternally. 
so you and I and Zacchaeus could have eternal life. So why do you live today? Nantucket, Massachusetts is located next to important shipping lanes running across the East Coast. Toward the end of the 1800s, sailing ships were in their heyday, and Nantucket Island saw hundreds of vessels passing by each day, all navigating without the advantages of modern technology. Treacherous shoals and stormy weather led to over 700 shipwrecks in the surrounding waters of Nantucket, causing the area to be dubbed a graveyard, a graveyard of the Atlantic. Prior to the advent of the uh, of the invention of organized life-saving sa- uh, sailors involved in a wreck were likely to perish. Nobody was there to save them. Even if fortunate enough to make it to shore, the limited shelter offered by the sand dunes didn't significantly improve a sailor's chances of survival. Faced with large number of shipwrecks and loss of life, the people of the surrounding communities began efforts to save the lives of shipwreck victims. They, they built life-saving huts along the shores, gave swimming lessons to Boston public school students, produced instructional posters on resuscitation methods, and developed volunteer, life-saving, uh, volunteer lifesavers that would row out to the ships to rescue shipwrecked sailors. They were incredibly brave and heroic men. Well, on March 31st, 1879, a violent storm swept across Nantucket Sound, bringing powerful winds, freezing rain, snow, and heavy fog. By April 1, over 68 vessels lay wrecked or disabled around the island. This led to the largest rescue effort in the island's history. Captain Thomas F. Sansbury and his crew of volunteer lifesavers rowed their surf boat toward the schooner John W. Hale. They rescued the crew and rowed them back to the safety of the shore, and then they went back out to Stormy Sea, made their way to the schooner Emma J. Edwards. She was rolling from side to side. Her mast would thrash the sea with every turn, making it impossible to get near her. A sole survivor was visible on that ship. George Coffin tied a line around his waist to prevent himself from being swept away and jumped from the surf boat. George Coffin rescued that one survivor. For 32 consecutive hours, Sansbury and his crew endured the hardships of the storm, and moving from wreck to wreck, wreck to wreck, they rescued more than a dozen sailors. Other crews were doing the same. By the time the storm began to break, Nantucket's volunteers had rescued over 40 sailors. The U.S. Congress recognized the courage of Sansbury. Captain Sansbury was given a gold medal, and silver medals were awarded to each of the crew. There's a museum dedicated to all these brave men that served as lifesavers. And the motto of this crew, of this group, was this. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. Though they were never paid a cent, they never lacked volunteers. They freely risked their lives to save lives. Folks, when our hearts become His, then we, like those rescuers, will be willing to do whatever to risk whatever, to give up whatever, to follow Jesus and get the lost to Jesus so that he can give them eternal life. Let's bow. When Jesus saved Zacchaeus, he said, salvation has come to this house. Because I have come to seek and save the lost. Is that your desire today? 
to see people, maybe people you know, except Jesus. We're never richer, never worth more than we're do- when we're doing what Jesus did to seek and save those who are lost. Who do you know that you could help find Jesus? Can you be a tree for somebody? I mean, can you help someone see Jesus? Could you be that sycamore tree that somebody could use you to find Jesus? Zacchaeus did not have help, but God's put you in someone's life as a lifesaver to get them to the Savior. Are you willing to take a risk and help them find eternal life? Or is all your focus on you and your discouraging problems? Maybe you need a life change. Maybe you need to find Jesus. Maybe, maybe you need someone to help you. Well, I have told you what he can do for you today. There's no accident you're here and you're listening. He will give you his peace and joy and purpose if you'll put your faith in him and determine to follow him. Why don't you pray with me? Say, dear Jesus, today I confess that I believe in you. I have seen you in your word. I believe you died on the cross and shed your blood and suffered for me to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. Today, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me for my sins, all of them. Make me clean, Jesus, in your sight. Take away all the evil things. I let go of the evil, the old sins I've been holding to, I let them go. I ask you to come into my heart, Jesus, and be my Savior. Come to my house today, Jesus. I invite you in joyfully. Thank you for saving me. Boy, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, what a great day. Everything's going to change now. And you need legs with that faith and that prayer. You need to come to church and worship. You need to not quit on God. You need to be faithful. Lord, whatever you've wanted anyone to do today, Lord, whatever your Holy Spirit has said to to us, I pray that we'll do exactly what you say, that we will just run to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Steve? Stand with us as we sing together, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb? I'll be at the front to pray with you if you need some prayer. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? in His grace